we could talk about um, CSS in general. Like, yeah. weren't we going to talk about to her about like teaching it and like is it intuitive and you know margin yeah. left and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Well, she definitely. I'm sure she doesn't have something to say about us whinging about how hard it is. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, let's start then. Okay. Welcome to episode twenty. Of the Creative Coding Podcast. Woohoo! Yeah, 20. That's a milestone episode. It is a milestone with me, Seb Lee Delisle. That's Seb underscore L-Y at Twitter. At Twitter? Is that your email address? Yeah, no, that's just my, my Twitter ID. <laughs> you don't say at Twitter. You don't? No, you say at right. Seb Lee. Okay. On Twitter. Well, I've, got, I've, I've switched my domain now as well. Have you noticed uh, my website is now Seb.ly? You're back in Libya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not bad enough that you've been <laughs> supporting the Libyan regime. No. I guess you're not supporting the Lib- Libyan regime anymore, are you? So that's good. You're supporting the freedom fighters now. Yeah, right on. There was right because the LY money must go somewhere, right? Um, there's. I just saw this. It's like the Libyan spider. You are my um, domain registrar, and yeah. I remember a, a post a little while ago from them explaining about how um they'd been bombed but they they had a backup so it was all all right but they seemed like nice chaps yes cool but you didn't introduce yourself after all this sorry i'm ian lobb at i-a-i-n-l-o-b-b on twitter ianlobb.com ianlobb.com so what's on the show today ian um (laughs) on the show today we have a very special guest val head who's going to be joining us to talk about she's a web designer she's going to join us and talk to to us about web design and all things webby yeah and she's like the third member of the creative coding podcast team she is because she designed the website and the very special image that you see on your (laughs) iphone screen yeah she might she might um remember i spoke to her about it a little while ago because um i said she was the designer of our website and she was like no i don't say that I just designed the logo. It's just yeah. a WordPress theme. Yeah. But, uh, oh, okay. She did the logo. She was the WordPress themer. She <laughs> gave us some special buttons that match our logo and stuff there, right? Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I personally consider that to be I very important design. design work. Yep, agreed. So, should we bring her in? Yeah, let's do it. Are you recording at your end? Okay, now I am. Are we going to like do a mini interview with Val to establish who she is? Or not? Yeah, I think we can do that. Are you, are you comfortable with that, Val? Um, sure. Okay. Cool, so um, <laughs> as Seb probably knows more about you than me, I'll ask the questions. So Val, how did you, what do you do and kind of how did you get into it? What, what do I do? Um, well, I'm a, a designer, I do mostly web design type things, but also some other stuff. Um, and I got into it like kind of a long time ago, um, mostly because I was in a band and we needed a website. <laughs> so <laughs> someone had to learn how to do it and it, and it was me. That's how so. I started doing web design. It's like how everybody starts doing web design. It's kind of awesome. Is that, is that how you started, Ian? <laughs> no, I was making some multimedia at uni and yeah. I needed some music. So I started a band. <laughs> <laughs> that is that. And that is actually true. <laughs> What, I like it. What did you play? <laughs> huh? Guitar. I'm absolutely terrible musician, but I'm enthusiastic. Well, Val's a guitarist too. Mm-hmm. Play wow. guitar. And you're a bass, you're ba- you're right, Seb? Primarily, yeah. So we could form a horrible band together. We just need a drummer. <laughs> That's yeah. more important than a bass player. I can play drums as well, but again, I'm awful. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I reckon I wouldn't be surprised if Jack was a, a drummer. Yeah, Jack Menhorn, wow. our illustrious. Audio he probably editor. is a drummer, you know. He's got to be a drummer. He looks like. Can a he drummer. do? Do you think he can do? <laughs> dum, dum, tsh, 
dum 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 dum. Can you do that one? I mean, isn't that I just like, think less he looks than like a drummer? <laughs> yeah, he looks like the drummer, so it doesn't matter whether he can play it or not. So yeah, sorry, Val. You were saying uh, you're a web designer. That's how you got there, then. And what do you do now? Um, still pretty much uh, web design things. I do some websites lately. I've been getting hired a lot to help people out with um, like the more fun and complex interaction bits of websites. So it's kind of fun. I get hired to be part of their team to help come up with concepts and then figure out how to make it work and make it cool. So I like that. Um, and then I also. Um, put on some events for web designers like we have a little conference here called web design day that we do every year so i like to do that as well and where's cool. here pittsburgh pittsburgh um pennsylvania yeah that's right cool check me out <laughs> uh do you do you teach as well or did i imagine that um i do i don't teach at any like institutions or anything um they're kind of weird about that here where they need you to have a master's degree and all that kind of stuff. So I teach a lot of little workshops. Um, I've done some evening classes in web design. um, And I have one coming up teaching processing, which I think will be way more fun. Cool, that sounds great. So I'm I'm pretty excited about that. And that's for non-coders as well, isn't it? Yeah, I'm trying to do one for like artists and designers. Um, It's at the local hackerspace. So it's kind of for people that want to learn to code to make their own stuff and, and make things that are kind of fun and not necessarily like, you know, care about database stuff or anything they just want to make stuff that looks cool yeah <laughs> so that's what i'm going for and so you're designing a syllable a, a, i tried to say syllabus and similar at the same time there <laughs> and i said simabus you're <laughs> you're designing a simabus um <laughs> a similar syllabus yeah a similar just I, call it a simabus What's, so what's going to go into your... What's going into Val's Cinnabus and what's going in Seb's Cinnabus? In my Cinnabus. I feel like I should be serving cinnamon buns during my class now or something. Mm. Um, well, mostly we're just starting out with like drawing stuff right off the bat because processing is kind of cool for that. You can just start drawing things and just kind of go from there, have people draw shapes, make things, and then get around to the idea of um, a little bit of mouse interaction, of making things move a little bit because um, that's way more fun than just drawing stuff. And it's a one-day class, so I'm not sure how much further beyond that I'm going to get, but um, sure. I think we'll have a lot of fun just doing that much. I think that's a good way to teach programming, isn't it, to, to non-coders, is just with getting them to draw stuff. Yeah. Mm. Although I do worry a little bit sometimes if you spend too long doing that, because until you like know some code techniques, it's just basically really boring typing in a load of numbers to get a smiley face or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Well, I was only going to do that for like 10 hours or so. You know, not very long. (laughs) Just 10 hours, yeah. When I teach like beginner Flash stuff, I get them always to draw pictures into Flash using like the paint tool because it's funny and it breaks up the dry coding stuff. Well, we don't don't have that option in processing or JavaScript. No, no, that's a bit... Well, you could have paint open in a separate window or something, couldn't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, you could totally import bitmap, but I think it's important to learn like the drawing API first. And I think I think what it's useful for is if maybe people aren't designers and they're not used to thinking in coordinates. Sure. You know, to try and get their, their head around X and Y yeah. and just where how that relates to your screen. And so, I mean, if, but if you already have that, or, then there's not much point in spending ages on it. Yeah, but of yeah. course, we've, particularly with processing and sort of things I teach in JavaScript, it's going to be straight away just getting into sort of algorithmic drawing and, Mm. It is quite cool to to be able to like draw a triangle, right? Just with 
with numbers. Yeah, or just with like a line of code, just to yeah. say, make a triangle. I, in fact, I've just been doing that exact thing because um, I'm porting, I'm porting my Lunar Lander into HTML, and right. I could have just like transferred the vectors over, but instead I thought I'd just draw it with code, and it was actually really fun. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, like that should be one line of code, I think, right? Drawing a triangle. And if it, I think if it's not one line of code, there's something wrong with the APIs. Well, <laughs> it, 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 it is one line in processing, right? Mm-hmm. You've got yeah. as, a, as a triangle method, but it's sadly, not in, in. It's not. It's not in action script because you have no. to no. go like then, begin, begin fill, and then draw the triangle, and then end fill. I think. Yeah, you need to define. Is that, that right? Or maybe there's a one line for it now. Is there? I can't remember. I don't. Well, not there. Didn't used to be. Not unless they've added it. But it's the same for JavaScript as well. You have to define the path and then stroke it or fill it but you know I, I never worry too much about that kind of thing because if you're drawing loads of triangles you just wrap it up in a function anyway right <laughs> i know i know that's true but it, it these things do annoy me like i've been thinking a lot about everything where things could be one line of code and then they're four mm. right like to play a sound in action script you have to go like new sound and then sound.play and if you want to set the volume that's like another thing again i do think that for flash the you know the audio API is ridiculously complicated. You're absolutely, and it's the same with video as well, isn't it? A video is even worse. Oh, video is even worse. Yeah, video never got like never got a new API when AS3 came out. Whereas at least sound did, but the one they did for sound was just like <laughs> rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I liked the new one at all. So, <laughs> well, the new audio one. Yeah, it was it was still such a pain. It's quite yeah. hard, isn't it, to set the volume? Yeah, I wanted it to be easier. That you have to get an audio transform object or something. No, what happens is you... It's been a while. You, do, <laughs> you make a new sound, then you do sound.play, that returns a sound channel, and then you call soundmixer.setvolume, and then you yeah. pass in the sound channel and the volume. That is stupid. That's right, there's this sound channel object thing. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But then, you know, much as it's more complicated, it's better than how it used to be, right? It is. We're hidden movie clips and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I like you could only play a sound if it was Mm. on a movie clip. I mean, how stupid is that? (laughs) I think it's better than the HTML5 way of adding an audio tag to the page. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Right? That's craziness. You should never have to add a tag to the stage to play play a sound. That's ridiculous. Well, at least it's an object. It's, It's weird. Why is it? What would you, what would you <laughs> do? It's weird. It's how HTML works, though. That things are objects, you make tags for them. It's it's kind of its thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but why not just have it a JavaScript thing that's just like sound.play something? Well, because you want to be able to embed some audio without using JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but have, bo- have both ways then, right? The advanced audio stuff doesn't use tags anyway, does it? Does it? Uh, I haven't looked at the advanced stuff, to be honest, but you can create an HTML element html5 audio element with javascript so you can do it that way if you want but that is that is it isn't it you make a yeah it's just the same as writing one in html5 i personally find that very strange but like it has to go in your page somewhere and then you can like add padding to it or like (laughs) do you know what i mean you can style your sound it like makes no sense logically well i guess you technically could (laughs) do you know much about this fell i haven't really played with audio tags Audio, I haven't done much with at all besides, like, literally put in a tag and be like, okay, cool. 
Um, and that's pretty much as far as I've, much as I've done with it. Very exciting. Pretty much an expert. (laughs) So one of the things we wanted to ask you about that was like CSS and whether you think Mm -hmm. it's easy to learn or hard to learn or whether you think it makes logical sense. (laughs) I knew you guys were going to ask me that because I was commenting about um, a previous episode with Stacey and the CSS stuff. Because Stacey was saying it's really hard. Yeah. And Ian was saying it was really hard. Yeah, you guys were saying it was really hard, and it's really funny to hear that. You know, coming to it brand new, especially if you're coming from doing things like Flash and, like, actual programming languages, it's really strange, and I could see how it could be really hard. But coming to it from, like, you know, web design, HTML aspect, where it's basically kind of more like a markup language than a programming language, it kind of makes more sense. But it is really weird to be dealing with stuff and have, like, no variables and things like that. Like, it's, it probably seems really bizarre. And the other thing that makes it really hard is is the weird tricks that all um, us crazy web design people have learned over the years. Kind of like, you know, how in Flash, how people are like, hey, if it doesn't work, add a trace statement. There's a lot of things like that in CSS that people just do and don't really necessarily document anywhere. Like what? Well, like, there used to be, I mean, it's kind of lesser so now, but there used to be things like this double margin bug in IE, so you just knew. You'd never float something to the right and add a right margin to it. You just don't, because that would cause weird problems in IE. But how is anyone supposed to know that now? (laughs) Just weird stuff like that, and just random things like sometimes things won't work, so, you know, weird height things won't work. Add a bottom border to something, and suddenly it works. That kind of stuff. How are you supposed to fix, you know, it's kind of like that's that sort of stuff I think makes it seem harder than it is because there's just weird little things. So that and the fact that it's just, it's not its not a programming language, it's a markup language. I think that throws a lot of people off if they're used to programming. Because mm. it seems silly to write all this stuff out, right? The box model, right, is inherently quite difficult to understand. Like, if you add, your box just keeps getting bigger. If you have a div, say, and you give it a certain size, right? Mm-hmm. And then you, like, add padding and stuff, it gets bigger, right? Yeah. And it's not the size that you typed in. Nope. Which is weird. It's funny that you bring up the box model about all that, because there was actually a time back in the day, um, <laughs> like not that long ago, where there was two box models that people were all hacking around because one set of, well, one browser implemented it like you're thinking, where width um, just stayed constant, right. and other ones, and the standard was to add padding to the width. Right. So that particular thing actually got pretty crazy for a while, and people were writing some... <laughs> If you ever run into some CSS where there's like crazy backslashes and stars and just like misspellings and stuff, (laughs) it's totally because of that. (laughs) My students struggle to understand, and even though I can do it, I also struggle to understand why. Is like, if you want, say, a picture or some part of your page to just be at a certain place in the page, where you don't just position absolute everything. For a while, I think when CSS first became popular and tables started going out, there was like a couple of years where everyone just used to position absolute everything, right? So what happened to that and why was that wrong? I don't think positioning absolute is really wrong necessarily. I think it's just kind of runs you into more issues in the end. Right. And that sounds really ambiguous, but like once you start absolute positioning things, you're kind of stuck with it. So people seem to favor more things like floats because it's a little bit more flexible. Right. Um, but it's not that positioning things absolutely is wrong. It's just not the common practice, I guess. Sure. Or not not a super popular way to take care of things. Yeah. I guess it's it's kind of a bit limiting, isn't it? If it's fixed mm-hmm. in actual position. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the nice thing about HTML and CSS, despite all its flaws is that it does at least enable you to design something that can kind of adapt to its environment. Yeah. And that's a big thing lately, too. Plus, sometimes the all the absolute and relative can get a bit confusing because it's not always relative to the top left corner of your browser window. 
it's technically relative to like the parent or yeah. nearest parent above it that has similar positioning. Yeah. So that can get really confusing too. I mean, that's quite useful as well, isn't it? Because you can have something positioned absolute and if the container is relative then it will still move with the page and mm -hmm. stuff right so it can be handy but that also i think that can get just as confusing as any other method sure, of positioning sure. after a while if you've got enough nested elements sure you'll get lost and <laughs> what um because i'm i mean not that that's ever happened i'm very ignorant about this but what what how what are media queries and how do you kind of use them oh that's a big thing media queries are um basically like a way in css to ask to find out how big your viewport is how big your browser window is and change things up based on that so it's kind of like adding a conditional well it is basically adding a conditional and you can say like if the screen or viewport width is bigger than this or smaller than this make a bunch of changes right. and you can basically get pretty nuts and completely change your layout at pretty any browser window size sure and that's how kind of responsive sites work right that become like shrink down to being mobile sites and then scale up to being a full-size site right yeah yeah that's the that's one of the I mean media queries alone aren't necessarily responsive responsive has to do with having like flexible media like images and stuff and media queries right. so it's not kind of like a one-to-one -one. you can have media queries and technically not be responsive but that's like a ridiculous debate sometimes because <laughs> right. i definitely <laughs> no need to get into that i definitely like the responsive kind of way of working rather than the idea of having a separate mobile site it, well, it can be it can be a way better solution sometimes but it's like there's no there's there's some people that like go around and say that like if it's not responsive it's not web design anymore <laughs> right. but that's just kind of like glossing over things sure. like there's there's cases where a mobile site totally makes sense still um, and do you think so oh t definitely could you give an example or well it's it's, a, it's definitely like a, a very situational but like if you have a case where you really need to give different content to mobile users and you would be you know, if your media query is going to look like hiding tons and tons of content, then maybe it's time to think of a separate mobile site and do something where you actually detect for mobile browsers and do something that sure. way. Like, there's definitely cases for it where things need to be incredibly different for various business or, you know, audience reasons. Sure. I'm not a huge fan of um, jQuery mobile. I think that <laughs> that makes sites they're very strange looking sites that are like all buttons, right? I've never used jQuery mobile. Uh, you might actually. have seen a site though. If you go to a site and it looks like a kind of weirdly done app and it's just like a list <laughs> of <laughs> buttons, right? That looks kind of like an iPhone app. That's jQuery mobile, I think. I haven't used it either. I think you're the only one here. <laughs> I, I've not used it, but I've, I've been You've on seen a couple it. of sites and I've been like, this is weird, right? This is doesn't even feel like a web page. It feels like Do you think that's the... Um... <laughs> Do you think it's like the, um, you know, the, the WordPress plugin? Is it called yeah, WPTouch? That looks really like an iPhone app, so I'm wondering if that uses jQuery Touch. JQuery is that, mobile. right, is that the one where if you accidentally uh, swipe left, it changes the page you're reading? No, I don't think so, but it just sort of it <laughs> makes, really your web, makes your website look like a, an iPhone app, basically. I think it might use a lot of... Um, iOS specific stuff. So there's a there's a really annoying like blog plugin or something where you like scroll it's like an app where you like scroll down to get new posts or whatever and if but if you no no you scroll down within the post you're on but if you swipe left that takes you to the next article. Yeah. But it's really easy to when you're like pinch zooming to accidentally swipe left and like leave the page. It's like very frustrating. I don't think I've seen that. That sounds really annoying. Yeah, it's very annoying. Yeah, I think, I think I'd remember if I'd run into that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably with a lot of swearing. Mm. But the, 
the thing about mobile sites that is very annoying is because a lot of the time the like inbound links aren't hooked up properly so you you kind of try and go to read a particular article or something and it's like oops we've lost you right do you know what i mean <laughs> if you're on your iphone and you go to like a web page and it's like oh that link redirects you to the mobile site oh and now we haven't got a mobile version for this page or we've lost the link or whatever no I've, i haven't seen that i've You've seen the things where it's where it says download our app it's like yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> those are awesome but i want to go back to what we were saying about before because i'm really interested with like things like responsive design and media mm-hmm. queries and then there's adaptive as well isn't there and then yep. people are just chucking around these things like mobile first and mm-hmm. you know it can get kind of confusing kind of i think it's quite indicative of the fact that sort of best practice seems to change on almost two or three month basis so, so how do you, like, for Ian, for example, how is he supposed to teach all this stuff to complete newcomers? <laughs> Where do you start? I think the, the basics um, kind of stay the same no matter what. Like, there's a lot of buzzwords and there's a lot of... There's a lot of talk and a lot of articles written about kind of how you should do things in the most ideal world. But when it comes down to it, when you have actual clients and actual timelines and actual, like don't want to work on the same project endlessly, that you can't really do it exactly like that. And even responsive design, even though it sounds like an awesome idea and it's really cool, it doesn't actually make sense all the time. And there's actually been some recent articles on like a list apart and stuff about how responsive images just aren't quite there the way people want them yet. But I think, as I go off on that weird, I don't even know, tangent, but for teaching it, I think the main stuff that, that really is always constant is is basically just, you know, thinking of it as a way of marking up content and having content and a concept that makes sense. You know, like if you have a solid design concept, like visually, and you have good content, you're pretty much set no matter what the latest trend is. <laughs> so I think mm. it's kind of nice to focus more on that of just like, effectively communicating what you're trying to do with design and with how you mark up your document so it makes sense. Um, and then you can kind of go on to all the trendy stuff if you want. Sure. If it still exists. <laughs> so it's about sort of keeping it like maybe simple or just semantically kind of elegant? Yeah, both those things. Like, you know, you could create an HTML page that's all a bunch of paragraphs and like 500 classes, or you could create things with actual titles and actual meaningful structure to it. And I think learning that is going to be, I mean, that's never going to go away as long as there's HTML. That's good to learn. And that also helps with, the, with you know, the actual visual side of design as well, because it's a similar idea of like dealing with hierarchy is a really big deal in both cases. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite lucky in that I only have to teach the first say 12 weeks of web design so and that includes javascript and css so it's like <laughs> i can pretty much just cover you're like good luck guys it's like i can pretty much just cover yeah exactly like html like what the tags mean and then css like how to style things in the box model and then javascript and jquery and then like we're done and then up to, it's up to them to that's a lot in 12 it is weeks. a lot in 12 weeks and that's why like a couple of my students who were already quite ahead of everyone else you know, they just wanted to make like these parallax scrolling websites mm-hmm. and they were just asking me about that all the time. And it's like, I can't really teach you that because like these other guys don't know how to like, pro- don't know how- the difference between a paragraph and a div or whatever. So I've got to kind of <laughs> concentrate on making sure they know what they're doing. Don't get me started about those scrolling websites. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other thing. They make me so mad. Uh-huh. In fact, you know, like, cause you know, when you put too much stuff in, 
it just like really slows down mm-hmm. and it's really slow. I found a website today that doesn't have a load of stuff in and it's still really slow to scroll. It doesn't even do anything. <laughs> yeah, what is it's, going on with that? <laughs> it's the, um, what is it, HTML5 Rocks yeah. website. It's like you scroll on it and it scrolls at like five frames a second, but there's no, like, there's no fancy parallax stuff going on, is there? Maybe they just want you to read more carefully. They're like, no, no, you must read slowly. Um. I'm going there now. (laughs) So, Val, when we were at South by Southwest Mm -hmm. and you did a a presentation with Chris Cashdollar, where's he from? He's the creative director at Happy Cog in Philly. Oh, yeah, right, right, sure. And, um, like, he was saying, like, you were introduced as a hybrid. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and I Which guess is a, that's not a, ty- not a type of car. Or, um, it's not a very flattering term in any case. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess to me and Ian and our background, that's kind of like quite a normal thing. But is it still something a bit unusual in web design to be able to do? I mean, I guess it's, it's mostly HTML, CSS code. Are there still web designers who just design and just remain in the dark about how to put stuff together? There is, and it's like it's been um, an ongoing debate for a while um, that people actually get pretty heated about, um, as far as whether you know designers should know how to code, and then if they know how to code, what else should they know? Because basically, this whole web design business has gotten a lot more complicated over the last few years, um, and it's a little bit—it's become something that not one person can do all on their own anymore. Um, if you want to do it effectively, anyways. So I think. There still are a lot of designers who maybe can't write code, but there's a big difference between understanding what it does and actually being able to write it. Um, I mean, this was a super huge debate like a year ago, and my whole thing with it, with it was a lot of the people I knew who were designers who were saying, I can't code, does that mean I'm a bad designer? If all the developers in the world suddenly blew up, those guys could totally make like a perfectly good web page. They would have no problems with it. Um, they just say they can't code, you know what I mean? Not really. Why would they say well, they, they can't? Well, they can't code as well as, like, the most awesomest front-end developer ever. Like, people that do front-end dev and are really good at it are kind of amazing. And they do it all the time. They have amazing shortcuts. They just think of these things ahead of time. But a lot of these designers who say they can't code but still design really well, if you gave them, like, Google in a few hours, they could come up with a good site. <laughs> you know, they're not really incapable of it. So I feel like it's kind of a weird argument to make. Because Do you think part of it is a sort of slight insecurity? I think so. I mean, they, they probably couldn't code the most amazing site you've ever seen, but they clearly, if they're designing websites that are, you know, good and make sense and are easy to use and all that, they, they've got to, they know enough to get it done if they had to. They're just probably better, it's not, you know, they're better at design, so why should they end up building it too? I, I noticed recently on Twitter, Chris Harman. Uh, commented about someone at a, a conference, a present, presenter, mm-hmm. and he was saying that you shouldn't call it coding if it's HTML and CSS. What? <laughs> and um, I mean, I, I kind of, I mean, I sort of know what he means mm-hmm. because it's clearly not a functional, it's clearly not like functional programming. It's not, it? it's, it's totally it's different. It's sort of markup, but I mean, what are you supposed to call it? I, I mean, know. I guess I've asked a couple of web designers because I've been talking specifically about teaching <laughs> designers to program JavaScript and so I'll be like oh do you know how to code and they'll be like yeah I totally do and I'm like JavaScript and they're like oh no <laughs> you know so I guess that I mean I don't mind people calling HTML dev coding even though it isn't strictly I mean functional I, programming I would call it coding but not programming that makes <laughs> yeah. sense 
<laughs> right? Because you know HTML and CSS, they are they are co- they are a kind of code, aren't they? But it's I not. I guess so. It's not programming a computer to do stuff. I mean, it's yeah. I guess well, it's markup, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I said to Chris Harman that it it was encoding, mm. <laughs> and encoding. Yeah, you know. I, it's it's yeah. coding, but it's not the same as programming. Like. It kind of goes back to the same reason why CSS... If you know CSS really well and you're learning JavaScript, it's going to seem hard. If you know JavaScript really well and you're learning CSS, it's going to seem a little bit hard because they're just not... They're different. It's not like you're moving from JavaScript to... or ActionScript to JavaScript or processing. Like All those things are really similar in the way that they behave and what they do. And HTML yeah. and CSS don't do those things. Yeah. So it's like a different... So I guess that's quite important, isn't it? Yeah. If, uh, if, you, if you learn JavaScript, then you're sort of... You, you you already know like Java and C and I mean, Action Script. Are we agreed that HTML is easy, right? It's almost impossible to like the actual like straightforward marking up of the document. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty easy. Though I mean, people like, have like crazy debates and fights over what you should call things. So <laughs> um, you know, it's easy, but there's there's a there's a detailed craft to it as well yeah but i think that's that's kind of okay though no, I don't, it's fine although it sometimes does get a little bit out of hand oh no it never gets out of hand i don't know what you're talking about yeah. all right quite often it gets a bit out of hand um these sort of constant discussions about i don't even know what i try to, to avoid them but then <laughs> do you mean do you, you know, mean things like when people argue about which which like tag to use for a certain thing or oh yeah yep exactly right? Because like, there's massive arguments about like, what's how do you encode like a phone number or an address mm-hmm. or like. Or even better is like, should your logo be an H1? Go look that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's you'll be reading for hours. <laughs> Can you just tell us, Belle, whether our logo should be an H1? Oh, well, see, there's no right answer. <laughs> it's, it, I, I, why, it seems like I don't why, know. I suppose how, why, it could be an H1. No, of course it shouldn't be an H1. <laughs> why not? Unless only if. The title of the page is like the name of your company. Yeah. Shouldn't your H1 be the same as your title tag? Yeah. That's maybe. <laughs> no. See this. See what you've started. Val. No, it's perfect. You guys are like it's... both on the opposite sides of the of the argument that goes down. I love it. <laughs> but the difference is that I don't really know what I'm talking about, or or really care that much. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't even care. Do whatever you want. I think th- um, this yeah. stuff is important, but not as important as people like these guys make it out to be. Like they think that a kind of alien or some advanced computer is analyzing like the semantic thing of all their pages, <laughs> right? When they're not. Oh, I hope someone makes like an HTML, you know, like error checker that's actually an alien. Yeah, you know, that'd be awesome. Anyways, <laughs> I mean, I guess the thing with HTML and CSS and JavaScript is that. You've got so many options, right? So I think it's natural that people who do it all the time are going to really want to defend and justify their reasons for doing something a particular mm-hmm. way, right? And things That's like kind of normal. And then a lot of the newer HTML5 tags, like article and footer and header and stuff, came out of this sort of common naming convention people had for their divs. So it does have. It's not like completely silly arguments. There is some, you know end result to it or effect in the end but you know sure you, it also from the outside looks pretty silly <laughs> you gotta admit yeah it can, well, the, yeah sometimes yeah a little bit well this will kind of segue <laughs> quite nicely into the other question we were going to ask you about which was about um vendor prefixes yes we wonder if you had an opinion on that 
or, or maybe, maybe like, because I'm not sure, but I don't think many of our listeners are necessarily web designers. So maybe you could just explain what the hell's going on. Yeah, we'll start with vendor prefixes because that's going to make it really sound cool. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, what happened last week well, with vendor prefixes? Yeah, well, what is so, a vendor prefix, first of all? Yeah. What, what let's is start with what is a vendor prefix. Okay. <laughs> I'll take what is a vendor prefix for. Um, anyways, <laughs> vendor prefixes are kind of... <laughs> that was a good joke. Um, that was Jeopardy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yay, oh, no, but you'd actually, have to answer in the form of a question. Uh, I'm not going to answer in the form of a question. Maybe I will. We'll see. Okay, so anyways, <laughs> vendor prefixes came about because um, basically they were a method for, I guess, managing this whole idea that the spec changes while browsers are implementing things. So the idea was these vendor prefixes meant that as web developers, we could use these newer things, <clears throat> and as browsers were figuring out how they were going to implement them, we had some way to control what was going on. So, like, for example, if WebKit was working on... Tech Shadow or something, which they aren't currently. They would that would be prefixed with like WebKit Tech Shadow, so that way you knew that you were getting only WebKit would see that. And then eventually, as standards became standard and were completely agreed upon, in the end you would end up using the non-prefix version. And these prefixes were supposed to go away as things were implemented. And so it was basically a way to be like if browsers implemented the same thing differently, you had some way to control that or to kind of get around that besides writing crazy hacks after the fact. And if anyone wants a better explanation, there's a really good, um, since I, I guess that was kind of okay, um, but there's a really good <laughs> article by Eric Meyer who basically wrote the books on CSS on a list of part called um, Prefix or Post-Hack, and he goes into way more explanation as to why they're actually kind of a good thing. Sure, so it's, it's like new, f- new browser features before they're officially a standard. Mm-hmm. It sort of allows the individual browser manufacturers like Firefox and Opera and WebKit to experiment with their own implementations of these new things. Yeah, without completely breaking stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and if it's if it's implemented differently in two browsers, you can like say the say the spread of a text shadow is like twice as big on one mm-hmm. browser as the other. You can then set it to half the size on that browser, right? Yeah, exactly. And that happened um, a lot with gradients, actually, which were implemented incredibly differently. And that's one place where prefixes, if you wanted to use gradients, even though it's still technically experimental, and, you know, you could argue either way whether you should use it at that point, but at least you had some way of controlling it. Otherwise, like, what would you do? Just be like, okay, sorry, this browser is going to look completely weird. So it was was a better, better way than having to deal with it that way. But what happened last week was it came out through various meeting minutes, I guess, and I'm not going to use actual people's names because I'm not even sure how to pronounce half of them, but basically it came out that Firefox or Mozilla and other browsers were looking at actually implementing the WebKit prefix, which of course previously was only for WebKit things. Um, so everyone kind and, of... And WebKit is, it's like the open, it's, it's an open source HTML renderer, mm-hmm. right? That is at the core of Safari and Chrome. Yeah and uh, lots of mobile browsers. Yeah. So at first, like last week, I think, I mean, it just sounded like craziness. It kind of made it sound like they were going to... I recently read something that made it make more sense, but at first I was like, what is going on? Why on earth would you do this? I figured someone was just really bored, needed a good argument or something. Um, Because it just seemed ridiculous. Like, basically, if... Firefox suddenly imp- uh, implemented all the WebKit prefixes, then why do we have prefixes at all? You would completely ruin it, right? Like, that would negate the whole idea for having them. 
Um, and it just seemed like a big, huge mess. And there's a lot of politics behind all this, so I kind of figured it was just a weird political thing. So, I mean, the, re- the reason that, that they were looking to implement them was because there are lots of websites that only have WebKit prefixes, is that right? Well, that's what they were saying, and when I was reading that last week, I was like, how is that, I mean... They were basically saying that a lot of web developers are lazy, this is totally paraphrasing, are really lazy, um, they're making all these sites for just WebKit and they're ignoring the rest of the prefixes. So basically you get to this point where Mozilla browsers could have actually implemented that feature, but you've left them out and it's kind of the web developer's fault. So there's this big, you know, everyone's kind of pushing for developers to be more responsible and put in all the different prefixes. And, you know, mention when they're using things that are WebKit only to say, like, hey, there's other prefixes, um, or this is experimental and that kind of thing. But one thing that just came out, or I just read about recently, maybe it's been out since this morning, but apparently the focus or the reasoning for this was more because of mobile browsers, which makes us all make way more sense. Because if you think about it on the desktop, right, you're like, well, Firefox is kind of a big deal. Who's going around writing just WebKit prefixes? Like, that sounds kind of silly when you're thinking about desktop browsers, right? But for mobile browsers, um, it makes a lot more sense. I guess a lot of people since, you know, Android works browsers, their default browsers WebKit, right? iPhone default browsers WebKit. So if you think about it, you can kind of understand the logic of why someone might write a mobile site and only use WebKit prefixes and only target web pre- WebKit browsers. That's getting hard to say. Right. Um, but Firefox, Firefox has a mobile browser, right? Yeah. And so does Opera. Mm-hmm. So apparently this is what is spurring them to do it, is that they've found that, you know, there's all these mobile sites that are either detecting only for WebKit before they serve you up the mobile site, or using WebKit-only prefixes. So mobile Firefox, for example, is rendering these sites in a way that looks completely broken. And apparently sure. people are blaming the browser, not the site. So this is why they're thinking of implementing WebKit yeah. prefixes because they don't want people to think their browser sucks on mobile. Yeah, it makes complete sense, actually. Yeah, because at first, like, when, you think, when I was thinking desktop stuff, I was like, seriously, guys, this is just silly. Um, but that makes more Although sense. I think, I think there probably are developers out there, right, who, for example, aren't implementing MS stuff because they don't believe it exists yet. <laughs> like, I meet developers all the time, like... A lot of my students have these ideas that, like, IE doesn't yet support most things that it does support. Yeah. And writing all the prefixes, it it is a pain. I mean, basically, anything you write, you have to write four times. Yeah. And then you have to write what's going to be eventually the standard. And, you know, if you're doing, like, a... All developers are on Chrome now, right? So they would never see any of this stuff. All developers are what? On Chrome. On Chrome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so So it doesn't matter. They, like, developers think that WebGL works for everyone. <laughs> no, there, there is totally a bit of that going on, right? Like, we want to use the newest stuff, and we can see it. What's your problem? I mean, there's definitely some of that going on. And honestly, if you're writing stuff out by hand, writing out all the prefixes sucks, especially if you're doing, like, animation. <clears throat> like, if you're doing, like, a one-line border radius, no problem. Copy it four times, change the prefix. But for animations, you have to do all the properties and all the keyframes with all, the, you know, the necessary prefixes. Wow, yeah. Which, even if it's two which it pretty much is only two um, in that case. But, I mean, that's a pain. And you can use various preprocessors and stuff to help you get that all right and set up right. But I can see why people don't maybe don't always use them because it, it is a pain, but you kind of got to if you're doing anything production ready. You said two. What would the two be? Like Mozilla and WebKit. Right. But what about, what about MS? Honestly, I don't know if they've implemented animation stuff. 
I think they have, you know. They've implemented they? a lot of stuff recently. Okay. And I think this is the thing. No one, like, gives them any credit for it. And no one <laughs> even, like... Like I said, I remember on your course, not to pick on you at all, but you did some stuff no, with... No, pick on me, that's fine. We had... Um, we were doing something with tra- some kind of transform, yeah. right? And you were convinced that it wouldn't work. I mean, I know the course is quite short, so you have to, yeah. you know, get stuff done. But you were convinced this thing wouldn't work in IE, and eventually, like... We hacked around it and found the prefix to get it to work in <laughs> IE. It's totally possible. I could be being totally ignorant in that, because I know a lot of the time, if I'm doing, at least for um, animation stuff, most of the time I'm just doing it as, like, trying things out and see what happens. And most of the time, sure. in the end, I end up animating it with JavaScript because CSS doesn't do what I need it to. So. <laughs> I think IE10, they've implemented a lot of new stuff, haven't they? But they're still holding out on WebGL, so I'm still sulking with them. But I'd really like to... Um, I'd like to get one of the Microsoft guys on my course, actually, because I've had obviously a couple of Mozillians and a couple of Operians. Is that a word? <laughs> it is now. And, you should get um and, get get the Beebs on. He, I'm sure he'd love to do. Yeah, it. I should get I should get Martin Beeb. In fact, I think I mailed him to see if he wanted a spot, and he ignored me. So oh. so whatever. Screw you, Martin. I don't care. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm sure. I don't he... mean it. He's actually a good guy. He's awesome. It is hard to keep up on who's implemented what, though, and I think that's part of the issue, too, is I think some people just kind of were like, ah, oh, well, screw it, I'll just do WebKit. I could totally see why people, you could fall into that trap really easily. I mean, I guess as long as your site looks okay without this stuff, then it doesn't matter, does it? Like, Yeah, if you're, if, if you're doing, like, thinking about how it degrades or, you know, thinking about progressive enhancement and, like, it, I find it hard to believe you can get yourself into a position where things will totally break in other browsers, like, that's kind of, as web designers, we're sort of conditioned to make sure it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. hopefully, if you're doing it right. But I guess maybe it's a wider spread problem. At least they're making it sound like it's a wider spread problem than I really would ever have thought. But they did mm-hmm. post, um, actually, a bunch of uh, screenshots of how things look different on Firefox mobile than WebKit mobile browsers. So I kind of believe them. I mean, I... I, yeah. I Initially, didn't think it was as big of an issue as it is, but I think they've kind of proven that that really is happening and it's impacting things in a way that isn't really good. One exciting bit of news that's come out recently is um, Chrome for mobile is finally out, right? That's right. Google, um, they're bringing out Chrome on Android. Oh, yeah. Sorry, on Android. Yeah. And if you've got, um, you need the latest version though, right? Uh, It's called Ice Cream Sundae. Is that right? (laughs) Ice Cream Sandwich? Ice cream sandwich. Ice cream sandwich, <laughs> right, yeah. Hang on, ice... Yeah, they, yeah. they emailed me, actually, and said, oh, I just thought you'd like to know. And I was like, yeah, it's great, but I don't have a device I can run it on. And now like, send me okay, a device. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't mean for it to be a massive hint, but they, they emailed me straight back saying... Oh, let's see what we can do about this. Yeah, so they should. I haven't heard any more, though. Yeah, but um, it's very cool. It supports hardware-accelerated canvas, WebGL... CSS3. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? Everything you would want in a browser. I must admit that the the Android browser has been very disappointing uh, whenever I've needed it. So hopefully this will will help that. I look forward to checking it out. But of course, the problem with Android is that there are all these devices and like the vast majority of them can't get their Android operating system upgraded. Why is that, though? They, They cut it off at a certain point, right? Like certain browsers or certain devices can only get so high up in the... OS, right? Yeah, I mean, I think... I don't honestly know I'm a little bit in Ignorance Corner, but I think <laughs> that I think that each kind of manufacturer has to sort of do a separate build mm-hmm. of, of Android just specifically for their device. So, of course, 
they would then have to do a specific build of the next one for older device and devices, and I think that's probably... Yeah, but that's what I they, can see they that should. cutting things off pretty quick. Oh, I just looked it up, Ian, just while you guys were talking about Android, I just looked it up, and you're right, um, it appears that Internet Explorer 10 does animations. But that's 10. Uh, it's not really out yeah. yet. 10's pretty pretty cool, actually. 10 sounds pretty awesome. anything missing in 10? 10, it's even got web sockets in, hasn't it? Oh. Okay. <laughs> I think um, the only thing missing in 10 is WebGL. They're still holding They're still holding WebGL. out on that? Oh. They can't keep holding it for very long, surely. <laughs> hey, it, it apparently even has a request animation frame. <laughs> cool. My prediction is on WebGL is they won't hold out forever because what they will do is they will implement WebGL in DirectX. I hope so. I don't think they'll ever. I don't think they'll ever support it in OpenGL, even though OpenGL runs fine on Windows. No, but of course they'd implement it in DirectX. But, but I mean, why? Why, of course, though? Because now, now that like Microsoft are like, yeah, we're open, it's all good, whatever. Run, run a, you know, uh, Node.js on our servers, we don't care, whatever, blah, right? <laughs> run PHP. No, because they did. They had a massive change of heart, and they're like made loads of effort to like make sure PHP works on their servers and all this stuff, right? It's just like, now once they've done that, why not just use WebKit? What's, <laughs> like, what's the advantage for them to spend loads of money developing their own rendering engine for, for HTML? Like, why? Because they're competitors them? and they want to be better. <laughs> but they don't get paid, I mean, I... they don't get any money for it, so it's free mm. products, so it's like, why? But then it is an integral part of Windows... Hang on, what are we up to? Eight? I think so. Isn't it? With their Metro thing, that's all built on their browser technology. So, I suppose. You know, their browser is kind of their OS now. Oh, God. I, I'd be very surprised <laughs> if they... I mean, because I sort of thought about this a little while so, ago, and it's sort of like, well, now there's WebKit, then why would anyone want to bother making their own <laughs> browser? But I think it is good that there are other people. The browser making. people are not going to let there be only one browser. There's no yeah. way. I mean, just, I think the internet in general will never let it happen. I think everyone's kind of going to be, that's not good for anyone <laughs> if that happens. So I think the, I don't know if yeah. they'll do it or not, but there's definitely not going to be just one. They'll figure out something to do or hold out as long as possible or something. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about, Val? Have you got anything to plug? Any upcoming events or anything? <laughs> um, well, I guess upcoming events. I have my workshop coming up um, but there's only one ticket left, and it's in Pittsburgh. So if you happen to be in Pittsburgh, it would be pretty fun. I think we have a lot of listeners in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and where can they go to get that last ticket? <laughs> um, and then other than that, I mean, I guess conference stuff is starting soon. So I'm going to be doing, uh, I'll be at FITC in April. So that should be pretty fun. FITC Toronto. In Toronto. I always forget there's more than just Toronto, which is totally terrible of me, but oh well. <laughs> That's the one I'm doing, it's in Toronto. In so April. you missed a chance to, to plug it. Ian asked where you buy your tickets from. Oh, where you buy the tickets from? HackPittsburgh.com yeah. is where the tickets yeah. are from. Sorry. The one ticket. The one ticket is at HackPittsburgh. Yeah. And if you get it, you're like Charlie in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You're like the <laughs> awesomest person ever, clearly. <laughs> So what about you, Ian? Oh, Anything okay. coming up? Uh, Flash Gaming Summit in San Francisco. Oh yeah, that's soon, in, isn't it? Yeah, in March, 3rd, 4th of March, so I'm looking forward to that. Come along if you're in town for GDC or just if you live there. And that's what I've got coming up. I just sold out all my courses. That's yeah. pretty good. So I'm just um, looking at doing another one in Amsterdam at the moment. Uh, what have I got? I've got FITC in Amsterdam. In, it's like in a week or something, isn't it? Two weeks? It's really soon. It's like the 26th to 28th of Feb, I think. And, um, yeah, like I keep mentioning, we'll be interviewing Ricardo Cabello, better known as Mr. Dupe, for the podcast. 
Um, then there's Beyond Teleran's Play in April, I think, which is a cool conference. It used to be FFK, um, but there's some pretty cool speakers there, and I'm doing some more workshops there. I'm sure there's some other stuff as well, but it's got oh, IO Festival. Oh, that's in June. In June. Yeah. Oh, that's a ways off, Seb. Come on, don't don't plug too early. Come on. (laughs) Well, it's all sold out anyway, so, you know, whatever. I think they still have some workshop tickets, though. Maybe one or two. Oh, yeah, I think they they don't have any of my workshop tickets. No, most of them are sold out. I think there's a couple that still, they've moved to bigger rooms and made more tickets available. I know um, Golan's is one of those, so. Cool. That sounds like some exciting stuff. Mm -hmm. Thanks for joining us, Val. Thanks for having me. And thanks for doing all the brilliant design. (laughs) Yes, on our website. You. Thanks for a nice logo and stuff. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, thanks also to um, Jack. Is he editing this show as well? I hope so. I haven't <laughs> he is now. <laughs> but perhaps our new our new permanent editor and Jack, and also to Jacob Gunderson, who is um, compiling the links for the old episodes that didn't have links. We've got links now for episode 18 and 17 that will be put up very soon. Cool. We've got like a whole team. We do. It's amazing. Well, from all the team, uh, goodbye and we'll see you in a few weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.